Today starts a three-sermon series. The name of that series is No Fair. No Fair. Have you ever heard those words? Now, notice, I didn't ask you if you had ever spoken those words. That might be a little more personal than you want to get into this morning. But I'm sure you've heard those words. You've heard those words from a child. You've heard those words from a grandchild. You've heard those words from school children. They just don't believe that something is happening the way it should, and they cry out, no fair, that's not fair. This sermon series is not about my definition of fairness, and it's not about your definition of fairness. It's about God's definition of fairness. It's about learning today how to fight like a Christian. Now, when you first think about that, how to fight like a Christian, it almost seems like the words shouldn't fit together. Fight and Christian should not be in the same sentence, but Jesus knew that we would face that temptation, and he gave us instructions on how to do just that, how to fight like a Christian. Keep in mind, though, throughout this sermon this morning, that fighting like a Christian is not about win-lose. It's not automatically about me getting my way or you getting your way. So today's sermon is about fighting like a Christian. Next Sunday, the title of the sermon is The Math of Forgiveness. Now, if there's anyone out there who is mathematically challenged, as I am, let me just assure you there will not be a test in the middle of the sermon. I am not going to stop the sermon for one of those little word problems they used to give you in math that says if Jack is traveling 20 miles per hour to the east and Sam is traveling 40 miles an hour to the west, how long will it take Joseph to get to Albuquerque? And you're sitting there wondering, where did Albuquerque come from? No, nothing like that but it's the math of forgiveness. And then on the 20th, we are going to consider what God has to say about a fair and equitable wage. If you remember from scripture, you might know that the wage of sin is death. And that's what we deserve. The good news is we don't get what we deserve. We get God's grace poured out over and over in an amazing abundance So the sermon on the 20th is about how God counts our wages and what happens in the end. Let me share with you the scripture for today. This comes from the 18th chapter of Matthew, verses 15 through 17, and today I'm actually reading from the message. If a fellow believer hurts you, go and tell him. Work it out between the two of you. If he listens, you've made a friend. If he won't listen, take one or two others along so that the presence of witnesses will keep things honest and try again. If he still won't listen, tell the church. If he won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, and offer again God's forgiving love. Take this most seriously. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, a no on earth is a no in heaven. What you say to one another is eternal. I mean this. When two of you get together on anything at all on earth and make a prayer of it, my Father in heaven goes into action, and when two two or three of you are together because of me, you can be sure that I will be there.
Today we're going to focus on the first three verses, the instructions that Christ has given us on how to deal with conflict in the church. Now I know as soon as I say conflict in the church, there are people who just go, what do you mean conflict in the church? There should never be conflict in the church. We should know how to love each other as much as we love ourselves, and we should treat each other in the way that Christ would treat us. Absolutely, yes. That is the sacrificial Christian way, loving others more than we love ourselves, working for the good of others without thought for self. Absolutely, but let's just be honest here. That's a whole lot easier said than it is done. We don't always treat others the way we want to be treated. And they don't always treat us the way we think we deserve to be treated. Jesus knew that. He knew because he had watched humans for his entire life. He had watched his disciples. He had watched all of the people around him. He knew about human nature. He knew that human nature probably wouldn't change much between his day and ours. Human nature bends towards sinning. Human nature wants to sin because that's the easiest. That's the most fun. That's the direction we want to go. We are born with that leaning towards sinfulness. And Jesus knew that. But let me say right now that being born with a bent towards sinning is not an excuse for sinning, and it's not an excuse for having conflict with other persons. It should not be used as an excuse because even though we are born human, we are called to something more than merely human. Jesus calls us to follow him and become Christian, become followers of Christ. That's hard to do sometimes. He knew it was going to be hard to do so. That's why he gave us instructions on how to deal with conflict between believers. And that's why he sent the Holy Spirit to be our divine God, to help us know how to interpret these instructions, and more importantly, how to live them out. Now, I want you to think about these instructions on what to do when someone wrongs you as a boundary. We've talked about boundaries before. These are boundaries to keep you within the space that Christ wants you to be. Think of them as a fence, perhaps. Here in South Georgia, fences keep cows inside. And if you have a garden that the deer or the rabbits try to get to on a regular basis, then fences might keep the critters out. Fences can also keep us safe. If you've ever been to the top of the Empire State Building, you've seen a pretty impressive fence. I have to tell you, heights are not my thing. I went with friends to the Empire State Building. We went at night because that was my specific request. I want to see the lights of New York all around me. The elevator lets you out in the gift shop. My three friends went zoom right through the gift shop, and I'm standing in the gift shop going, there's a whole lot of distance between the edge of that observation platform and the ground. I stood in the gift shop for so long that not one but two friends came back to check on me to make sure I was okay. I said, I'm good. I just have to work up my nerve. And when I finally went out on the observation deck, what I discovered is that not only was there a, a concrete wall, but there was also 
a very serious fence that rose several feet above that concrete wall, much taller than I, and I was completely safe. I could walk right up to the edge and put my face against the fence and look at the lights of New York because that fence was keeping me safe. You may have experienced the same thing if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, a wonderful place to visit. They have these little small fences right along the edge, and they have these signs that say, please don't climb over the fence. It's a long way down. And while we're standing there admiring the beauty of the Grand Canyon, what do I see but people climbing over the fence? I wanted to be their mothers. I wanted to go get them and say, come back, come back to the safe side of the fence. So if we think about these instructions that Jesus gives us as a fence, we need to stay on the safe side of the fence where we can live the way he would have us live and treat others the way he would have us treat others. And the point of all of this, folks, the point is not winning. The point is not about me being right and you being wrong or you winning and me losing. The point is reconciliation. The point is restoration of relationship. Reconciliation is the peace between God and humans that occurred because of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Reconciliation is the peace that occurs between you and I when we have put our differences aside and come to an agreement. Reconciliation is the end of estrangement. It's the end of things that keep us apart. Now, if you've watched the news lately, and I have to say that I watch the news with great caution and I often don't make it through any kind of news broadcast because it's so disheartening and so discouraging. But if you've watched the news lately, you have seen ample examples of people who are not working toward reconciliation and restoration. You have seen examples of people rioting. Now understand, I am not talking about a peaceful protest that cries out for justice. That is exactly what should happen. I'm talking about rioting that leads to death and destruction. There is no reconciliation in that. There is no good in that. You have seen examples of presidential candidates fighting. I am not going to take a side here. What I'm going to say is that the Democrats think they're right, the Republicans think they're right, and the truth is that neither side is exactly right. If they would come together, if they would work toward reconciliation and learn how to sit down at the table and talk to each other, we as a country might get farther down the line. And I read just this week about a lack of reconciliation in families because apparently the divorce rate is going up as a result of the stress experienced during the pandemic. Now let me just stop this sermon for a minute and say if you find yourself and your spouse in that situation right now, please call me. We can find a way to get you the kind of help that you need to put your relationship back together and not let stress tear it apart. We also see signs of conflict in the church on a regular basis. Again, I know that we wish that that didn't happen, but we're human and we want what we want. I know what I think is right, and 
I'm really going to spend a lot of energy telling you what I think is right to see if I can convince you to come on to my side. Two years ago in the annual conference, as we were facing the prospect of a general conference in 2019, we decided that we needed a way to encourage healthy conversations. And we talked about a multitude of ways to do that. We talked about ways to encourage people to think before they speak and to listen with both ears before they respond. And what we did was reach way into our past and pull a process called the heart principles out of the past. Heart, H-E-A-R-T, H, hear and understand me. We need to listen with the goal of understanding what the other person is saying, not with the goal of deciding how we're going to answer. E, even if we disagree, don't make me wrong. Don't shame me in front of other people. A, acknowledge the greatness in me, not because I have any true greatness, but because God's greatness is in me. R, remember to look for my good intentions. Maybe what I've done that hurt you wasn't intended, and there's just a mistake. And you need to, to help me understand that mistake so we can make it right. And then T, tell me the truth with compassion. Unfortunately, Christians sometimes use the truth as a weapon. When Christ intends that we should use the truth with compassion and love as in an effort to draw people closer to him and not push people away. If we can avoid creating situations where conflict arises, then we don't have to work so hard for reconciliation. One thing I want you to notice about these ground rules that Christ has given us is that they are for believers. The passage starts that way. These rules are for believers, fellow believers. If you have a dispute with someone who is not a believer, we have a legal system to handle situations like that. But I want to encourage you to use these ground rules, not only in church, but also in all of your other dealings with people. Because even if you're dealing with an unbeliever, if you use these ground rules, you show Christ to them in the way that you live, the way that you act, and maybe, just maybe, something about that interaction will touch their hearts and encourage them to want to know the Jesus that you know. So use these rules with believers. Use them with everyone else, too. And the first rule is pretty simple. If somebody wrongs you, if you believe that someone has done something to wrong you, to cause harm to you, go and talk to them. Go and say, hey, brother, do you realize how that hurt me? Let's talk about that. And, and don't go with the idea that you're going to shame them and go to them alone. Don't go to other people. Oh my goodness, gossip is not a healthy Christian behavior, folks. So don't go to somebody else and say, I just need to vent for a minute. And I admit I'm guilty of that. I am just as guilty as, of that as you are. But that's not how we're supposed to act. We're supposed to pray over this. And then we're supposed to work up our courage and go to the person and say, we really need to talk about this. What you did hurt me, and I'd like it to be right between us. Now, sometimes when you do that, the other person says, 
You know, you're right. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. What can we do to make this right? And your relationship is restored. Sometimes the person will say to you, I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't done anything to hurt you. How could you have misinterpreted? How could you have understood it in that way? You just need to leave me alone. If that happens, Jesus says we're supposed to take two or three others and go back. Now, the idea of taking two or three others comes from the Old Testament. You had to have a certain number of witnesses before you could convict some of a, someone of a crime and potentially condemn them to a very harsh punishment. But I want us to look at that from a slightly different perspective. I don't think we need to be looking for two or three other people who will automatically agree with us. I think we need to be looking for two or three other people who will be brutally honest with us. And when they hear the story that we tell them, they might say, you know, you're right. We need to go. We need to listen to the other side of the story again. And we need to ask them to to change what they're doing. But they also might need, they also might say to you, hey, this is not about them, this is about you. You're off base here. You need to rethink this. Because when the truth is told, often what makes us angriest with another person is a reflection of something that's going on in our own hearts at the time. So you may have friends that say, yes, let's all go together and see if we can work this out. But you may have friends who say to you, look, you're the one who's wrong here, and you need to go apologize to them, and you need to listen to your friends because they are your reality check. They are the, one to, the ones to keep you in balance. And then if you go with two or three, and all of you talking together in a calm tone of voice, doesn't change anything, then Jesus says, take it to the church. Now, let me help you put this in perspective because you see, Jesus was not a mega church preacher. Jesus did not have three, four, five, six thousand people coming to church on Sunday morning regularly just because of him. When Jesus talked about going to the church, he meant going to the next step up in terms of a small group. The main church at that time was in Jerusalem, the temple. There were very small synagogues in every little town, sometimes 10, 12, 20 people. Jesus said, go to these people and talk it out and see what they decide about what needs to happen to make this right. And then the final step is, if talking it out in front of the church where you're truly working towards reconciliation and not working toward one side winning and the other side losing, if you can't work it out, some passages of Scripture say to cast the person out to throw them out of the fellowship. One of the reasons I like the message is because Eugene Peterson takes a slightly different take on it. He says if you reach the point that not even the church has an effect on the person who has done you wrong, you need to go back to the start and try again. That is a situation that demonstrates a need for repentance and you need to go back to the beginning and try again and try to call the person to repentance. You need to do that because that's what God does for me and you. When we wrong God, 
when we sin and in the process of sinning we do wrong against God. When we turn to him in repentance, he forgives us. In the time between the time we do the wrong and the time we turn to him in repentance, he keeps trying. He keeps trying to bring us to repentance so that he can offer grace and forgiveness and mercy. And that's what Eugene Peterson says we do here. We keep trying. Now the bottom line is simple. As we keep trying, someone who is out of fellowship, out of a right relationship with a church group because of their behavior, they may stay and they may not. But as much as it is up to you, you should keep trying to bring about reconciliation. So as you think about these ground rules, these fences that Jesus has established for us so that we have a safe place and a safe way to deal with conflict, keep in mind that the goal is not win-lose. The goal is reconciliation. The goal is a restored relationship. Reconciliation can only happen when we acknowledge the problem and we work to resolve the problem. This is not one of those situations where you say, well, I'm just going to ignore it. If I just stay quiet, maybe it will go away because usually when we do that, things get worse instead of better. It takes a lot of courage to work toward reconciliation, but that's what Jesus tells us to do. We are to work toward restoring a relationship with another person. And one of the reasons we work toward that is because this isn't just about me and you and what has happened between us. If I have wronged you, I have also wronged God. If you have wronged me, you have also wronged God. So this is really about restoring relationships not only between me and you, but also between me and you and God. And if there's ever a relationship that we want to be right, that we want to be restored, that we want to be reconciled, it's our relationship with Jesus Christ. This is hard work. There's no other way to look at it. The good news is often after we have worked through reconciliation and we have accomplished restored relationships, often those relationships are stronger than they ever were before because together we have done what Christ has called us to do and reached the goal that he has set for us in this passage of Scripture. Fighting fair as a Christian is about seeking reconciliation. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.